the Great Void. And so, we're finally back! After a few months of silence, we're ready to once again gaze into the Great Void and talk about music we adore with some amazing guests by our side. And oh boy, do we have something special for starters. This is part one of our interview with the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. John Holm himself. You know him as the guitarist and singer of the now-defunct metal legends Agalok, but also as a prolific multi-instrumentalist, competent in all things black metal, neo-folk and ambient. He recently released his long-awaited solo album 1865-1895 Cast Iron Blood. And boy, what a release it turned out to be. So my name is Nicola and today me and John will be discussing Jim Jarmusch, the Old West and cowboy hat wearing got rock icons. Here we go! So John, very nice, uh, very nice to hear you, very nice to meet you after so many years you played in Sofia, one of your last gigs in, uh, in uh, Agalog's career, <coughs> but uh, <coughs> now we won't be talking about Agalog that much, we'll be talking about, <coughs> sorry man, uh, we'll be talking about your uh, solo albums and uh, the thing that I wanted to start with is uh, the record, uh, it's a, I don't know if I should refer it uh, to as an EP, the last place I remember, it's a, it's a very important uh, recording for me. I really like it and I really like its atmosphere uh, and I know that um, now that uh, you have your current record on it's uh, supposed to be the second record from a trilogy so so the last place I remember should be the first one from the trilogy, right? Correct, yeah. It it, it actually was intended to be a full length and it, and it is. Um, mm -hmm especially the CD version because it, it originally was was recorded um, as a as a session for a, another project I had with Daniel Menchi mm -hmm. and he didn't use any of the material so I I took it mm -hmm. and um, added some a bonus material to it and because originally it was written it was re it was released on cassette mm -hmm. um, and then I uh, it's strange how it evolved because you know when I released that cassette I got an offer to play a show and then I got an offer to play another show opening for Souls to Fear mm -hmm. and it just evolved and then I got it I got a tour from it I got you know I played Roadburn <laughs> so when I when I was preparing to do the the European tour with the Vision Bleak uh, I, I felt that I needed something to promote and so I released the proper CD version of Last Place I Remember with a bonus track and together it's it's a full length album it's like 56 mm -hmm. minutes long mm -hmm. um, and then from there you know it, it, it just continued to evolve um, because I wanted to I wanted to explore that style a bit more not only the abstract guitar atmospheric uh, stuff but just the, the, the that kind of like old west 
uh, atmosphere because mm-hmm. I don't know if you know this, but I, I grew up in Montana mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, you know, and I grew up around a lot of the old West towns and ruins and that, that, that definitely had this sort of uh, influence on me, you know, in the backbone a bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I just I really wanted to to explore that that uh, aesthetic, I guess. And, um, you know, and I went to and I explored the desert. The, I'd never been to the high desert until 2014. So I visited Arizona and Nevada just to experience, you know, the high desert. And that was so in, inspiring to me that I, when I came back, I just expressed it with this, this project. Mm-hmm. And now with the second album, it's evolved into kind of almost the story of this 19th century nomad that travels the interdimensional desert and carries the burden of the past with him, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and in some ways it's metaphorical to my own life and I obviously integrated my own experiences and emotion into the material. Uh, but with both albums, I wanted to paint a visual picture with sound. Mm-hmm. And with the new one, it's it's kind of entered this almost a historical um, relevance uh, in terms of like, you know, the 1800s and uh, you have the railroad and, and all of these um, elements of that time period that I'm kind of integrating into this concept mm-hmm. and you know the third one in the trilogy will will of course be the culmination of of all of it and and it will kind of bring it back around full circle all right so um, you already have it in mind and uh, you probably started working on it i have it in mind i haven't actually you know i haven't written anything particularly mm-hmm. i have a lot of ideas mm-hmm. um but You know, I've been kind of working on uh, with this album, and then I've also been getting ready to release the third uh, Matthias Grosso and John Hom album. So once those, once that's out of the way, and I have some time away from the project, then I'll start to to work on it. All right, and uh, uh, like ev- everyone can uh, notice that, but uh, the last place I remember is uh, a lot more. Uh, noisier it's uh, it's more uh, experimental and uh, more ambient uh, w- whereas the new record is a lot more dynamic it uh, involves more instruments and more atmosphere uh, is that the logical progression you had in mind when you started working on the last place i remember or was it just a one-off thing that you just wanted to express and uh, let it out Initially, yeah, it was just a one-off kind mm-hmm. of expression uh, project. But once I had finished it, I really felt that there was more that I wanted to say. Mm-hmm. And um, I think once the full trilogy is finished, you'll be able to see a, a red thread through all of it. And it, and they're into, the, the elements are integrated into each of the albums. Like, you know, on the, on the new album, you can hear elements of the first one. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you know? yeah. And, and on the third album, you'll hear elements of, of the first one and the second one, and as well as some new elements as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But or, so I, I kind of I want to design it so that when you listen to all three at, at one time, it just creates this epic soundtrack. It takes you on this long, epic journey. All right. 
All right, and uh, as uh, as long as I remember, it was uh, when you released the last place I remember um, when you mentioned Cormac McCarthy, and it makes sense perfectly. Like uh, this atmosphere is absolutely in tune with his works. But uh, do you have a favorite work of his, or uh, probably a favorite movie adaptation? Because there are a bunch of those. I actually prefer the film ap adaptations mm -hmm. uh, of his books to, to actually reading the books. Um, but that's also, I think, because I'm a film guy. Um, but, but Blood Meridian in particular has such a gritty and visceral quality to the writing uh, that somehow I don't know how that could be properly adapted to film. Um, and that's why I think I, that book in particular, the way it was written, was, I, I just love the way that he... he uh, orchestrates his his paragraphs and just the way that everything is is just expressed in that in that um, in his writing on that particular book and that's why I, I I reference it on or I quoted it on the first and second album and I'll probably mm -hmm. quote it again on the third um, just because there's just something just guttural about the way the the way he orchestrates his his words and and puts the um, the story together um, but yeah if somebody would would make a, a proper film out of Blood Meridian, it would be amazing. And of course, I'd want a soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And uh, talking about soundtracks, do you like the soundtracks uh, accompanying the movies that are uh, done after his works? Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think it's it's actually it was a really wise choice to not really have a soundtrack for uh, No Country for Old Men. Mm -hmm. I think it creates a really unsettling uh, vibe you know it almost puts you right there in the moment with the characters and there's obviously in real life there's not just music accompanying it so it i thought that was a really interesting and wise choice to do it that way but um uh, the road yeah, definitely the had road. a really good soundtrack yeah, yeah the that, road. that's probably the best absolutely nick cave and warren ellis yeah 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 that that's what i uh that's what i that's uh, what i think of when i think of uh cormac mccarthy movies uh you know interpretations of his uh, works it's nick cave and warren ellis's uh, soundtrack it's absolutely great and i kind of get the vibe right about his works and about the atmosphere that he projects didn't they soundtrack the assassination of jesse james yeah they did they did absolutely yeah. Yeah, that's another great film. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so you like the, these kind of films that are um, uh, that are trying to uh, capture the atmosphere of the old west as well? Oh yeah, and you know it all goes back to Ennio Morricone. Yeah, of course. You know? And and the way that his soundtracks created the canvas of 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 sound over these these you know low budget spaghetti western films, and it just made those films what they are. All right. Yeah. Uh, I, as well as the acting. All right. But but still, you know, the the, the the soundtrack's the first thing I think of when I think of a spaghetti, spaghetti western. Yeah, of course. But uh, okay, maybe maybe we should start by playing by playing something from the last place I remember. It's uh, very tough for me to say because these are uh, coordinates like uh, plus 37.717364, these are real coordinates, right? Yes, it's actually the coordinates of the cemetery 
in Nevada. Yeah, that you that I you got photoed. Yeah. The photos and video for my uh, yeah. live projection as well. All right. So, so why did you think it's uh, so important? What was uh, like the the important thing you saw there? That was when I, I, I. So we went to this. We were driving through this town, and I and I saw that there is this cemetery, and so I just wanted to check it out. And of course, it was an old, old, old cemetery. And uh, that was the point where I decided, yeah, I want to express this in music somehow when I get home. So that was that was a very important junction, I think, um, and it's springboarded the project right there in this graveyard. And I thought that was it was really good to use that as the as the initial uh, starting point and coordinate. All right, cool, cool. And the photos look uh, absolutely fitting. They fit the music perfectly. Yeah. The, oh those yeah. Photos. Oh, that's, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's Valetta Thorson's. Uh, uh, infrared photography and she's amazing at that absolutely stuff, so. absolutely so now let's hear the track so we can get uh, the atmosphere and move along into the old west Thank <laughs> you. 
Okay, so now that you mentioned uh, Ennio Morricone and uh, and his great work, uh, because we talked previously with you and you uh, and you provided me with uh, with a bunch of tracks that really inspired your uh, solo records, the records that we'll be talking about, and uh, you particularly mentioned Ennio Morricone, Man with a Harmonica. Uh, I think that's one of his most famous tracks from Once Upon a Time uh, in the West. So now that you mentioned uh, already Ennio Morricone, why do you think he's so special? Why do you think his sound is so much different and so much more important than the than the like thousands of movie soundtracks that have come out uh, during the last decades? Honestly, I can't say. I mean, it's just. He has a style that just naturally fits with the kind of the films that he has soundtracked, and not just his westerns, but I mean the other films that that have come out. Um, that he's like the Mission, for instance. The yeah. soundtrack to that is amazing. Yep. Um, and it doesn't it doesn't sound like his old west uh, film soundtracks. So I don't know. I, there's you know maybe there's a certain grittiness to the recordings that he provided for those old west films um that just fits you know mm -hmm. aesthetically with with the the visuals and you know that's a very important component to to you know the marriage of film and sound so it's you know achieving that you know where you can almost taste the dust in 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 some of the music yeah. you know you can yeah. smell the the moment yeah well said uh, well can, said yeah you can feel the heat penetrating you and that's and like i said and that's that's some there's moments on last place i remember where you know i i feel like i i really accurately accomplished the feeling of just being in this dry hot environment and the sun is beating down on you and you can smell the sagebrush and you can you know you can you can you can feel the thirst and everything and that's what i really wanted to accomplish with that album and i think ennio morcone does that as well you know with his soundtracks um and you know and as for why it sounds like that i i really can't say it, whether you know i, I really don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah it just he it just it's just a natural it's, he's just naturally gifted or was naturally gifted yeah. at at uh creating the appropriate uh score to the moments Yeah, I was uh, very impressed with uh, with the way he continued working throughout the years and uh, with the fact that uh, some years ago, I don't remember when the Hateful Eight came out, but uh, he provided a soundtrack to a new film. I know he, he hasn't been uh, providing soundtracks for Westerns or, you know, kind of Western mu movies for a long time, but uh, he did one for Tarantino. Did you like the Hateful Eight, like the, the, the film and the soundtrack? I have not seen that movie actually. Uh, I've heard that it's amazing, but it's just one that's kind of slipped through the cracks with me. I I've been meaning to to watch it, and I think it's on Netflix. So I should definitely take the time and check it out. I think you should, yeah. I think you should. If you, if you like westerns and Tarantino and Morricone, it it should be it should work for you. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why I'm not just getting up right now and watching it. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> you should. You just it. <laughs> yeah. I think I've just been, you know, I've been distracted by by a variety of things this year. And uh, yeah, I did really like the last 
Tarantino film. I went yeah. and saw that in the theater. Uh, was the, it 70 milligram or millimeter? Yeah, know. the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that was fantastic, but now I, I, you know, I'm not totally caught up with with his work. Yeah, yeah but uh, but uh, I think the Hateful Eight will. Uh, yeah, you you're gonna like it probably. And uh, there is this fun fact that uh, uh, Ennio. Uh, used some of his leftover trucks from the Ting uh, for uh, the Hateful Eight, and still they sound absolutely right, and uh, they fit the film, uh, even even though the, even though they've been done for a horror movie, like twenty or uh, thirty, I don't know how many years ago. But, yeah, it's yeah, amazing. Yeah, there are bits and pieces from uh, from there. But okay, maybe we should play. Uh, the man with uh, harmonica from Once Upon a Time in the West, just to get in the mood of what uh, the great maestro Ennio Morricone used to do. God uh, yes. rest his soul. Yep. Mm, yep.
right, all right, uh, and okay, uh, we're gonna uh, we're gonna continue with the with the trucks that you mentioned uh, influenced you or probably influenced uh, the soul work you done. And one of the things you mentioned, and uh, it uh, made me happy to see it, uh, was Fields of the Nephilim. Uh, because I think that um, Fields of the Nephilim have also been uh, one of the major influences on Agalok, right? Yes, definitely. Absolutely, because I think that uh, even in Pale Folklore, you get to sense this and that from, uh, you know, Postpunk and Goth. Uh, and especially in later tracks like uh, uh, Ghosts of uh, Midwinter's Fires, was, yes. was it? Yeah, yeah. It it was. Uh, it had that definite post-punk feel. So, yeah, how did well, the fields of the Nephilim influence your uh, solo albums? Well, it's just a continuation of how they've influenced my my musical career. You know, mm -hmm. um, fields of the Nephilim has always been a very very important band to me. Which is interesting, though, is really just up until uh, Elysium. Mm -hmm. You know, the stuff after Elysium, as, as far as I'm concerned, the band split up in 1992. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, because it, you know, later on became kind of the Carl McCoy project. And, you know, and I know that he has reenacted Phil's and Ephilim as, as, a, as a full band again recently. And I think I've heard, I've heard some, a couple of songs from Morning Sun, I think, mm -hmm. that were okay. But it's really those first three albums and, and, uh, and the EPs before uh, that really, really influenced not only myself, but, but Don Anderson. Mm -hmm. um, and and we, we definitely had to put that element into Agalock. It just, it, it wasn't even a conscious decision. It was just, it just happened, <laughs> you know? All right. Um, you know, especially with songs like Hallways of Enchanted Emity, yeah. you know, when you, have that, when you have the rhythm of that song the way it is, it's like the only thing that you can put in there is a nice clean tone guitar over it, that driving rhythm. And it just felt natural. It wasn't us trying to create something different. We just were doing what felt right. And so continuing on with, you know, my, my solo stuff, of course, the image that Phils and Ephlam had with the, the Old West kind of renegade image that they they took on resonated with me with my whole history with, you know, growing up in Montana and the Old West uh, lore that, uh, that interested me there. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was really interesting to hear this, this gothic rock band that incorporated that. And they're really the only one. I can't think of another band that's really done it as effectively as they did. Um, so yeah, it, it's just no matter what I do in my in my music, you're gonna hear a filter and Nephilim influence somewhere. All right, and you already mentioned um, the visual style yeah. of uh, Fields of the Nephilim, and uh, mm -hmm. what was that uh, really a major influence on on the way you decided to perform now? Because you perform with uh, a similar, uh, should we say, cowboy or just Western uh, type uh, vibe to the, to the way you dress and to the way you perform. Well. You know, it's it's interesting because you know when I when I decided to make this more of of a of a developed uh, project and and with with the whole 19th century um, vibe and everything, when I started playing live, I was like, well, you know, I'm not just going to get up there with jeans and t-shirt and mm -hmm. try to 
recreate this this vibe you know you have to dress the part and so I'm, I'm more yeah I was definitely influenced by the way that Phil's and Eflam uh, dressed and, and Solstafir as well but I was more just influenced by history you know just I, I would look back on you know what what the styles were in the 1800s and mm -hmm. kind of incorporate that into sort of like a mishmash of past and modern because you know once I once I decided that this was a sort of a nomad that's, that's traveling tr through time you know as a nomadic ghost um, you know you're going to pick up elements throughout different eras of time you know and I actually like the coat that I wear is from the 1800s and it you can tell it's, <laughs> it's falling apart <laughs> all right but you know and the goggles I wear were are from the early 1900s and um but you know obviously my leather pants that I wear <laughs> are just, yeah. from the 90s or whatever you know um you know and obviously an old west nomad isn't going to play a, a 1970s Travis Bean guitar <laughs> of course but you know it's it's all these things it's all these things that kind of come together and create this this ethos and this lore around a character um that is transcending time um but yeah yeah that the Fields and Ephilim style, I always wanted to dress like that and perform. <laughs> all right, all right. And uh, so, uh, do, do you go to, uh, our, I don't know, yard sales or whatever, looking for for this kind of old uh, Western stuff that you can use? Is it a hobby or something that you collect these kind of uh, items? Not really. Um, I think I found my vest at a, at a used clothing store mm -hmm. um, and it just you know, it, it fit me perfectly and it, it had that, it was like really worn out. I thought that was really a great element to the, you know, because they wore vests, you know, back then, of course. All right. And then um, instead of a pocket watch with the chain, I actually have an old, an old antique compass. All right. Which That's I thought cool. fit. Yeah. So it's, so when I take it out, you know, it actually works. Um, and I'll take it out during a performance and I'll look at it, you know, and it's, it totally fits with the traveling um, element of the, of the project, you know, but I always, you know, you need to have that, that, that pocket watch with the chain, you know, with, with that look. And I, I just thought to take it a different, taking a step further and it's, it's actually a compass. Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's great that you're uh, taking care of all the details. It's, uh, it's course. really nice. It's really nice. Yeah. Well, I'm very detail oriented. I mean, I'm a, I'm a designer anyway. So, uh, you know, I have to think about the big picture and I have to think about the details. Yeah, that, that's one of the things that, uh, yeah, I was going to ask eventually, but uh, maybe now's the time that uh, the whole design of the, um, uh, of the last place I remember and uh, cast iron blood, um, they're very similar. Uh, you can tell that they're part of the same of the same, uh, you know, line of albums, a trilogy or whatever, and uh, it's it's really great that you that you take the time uh, to to make these things obvious that they one thing follows the other, they're connected visually and uh, uh, in every other way, because I think that uh, there are some great bands that never cared for uh, for those details and for the design and it's great that you care so much oh i absolutely i it would drive me crazy if 
I had a trilogy of, of albums and they all had a different kind of package on each. You got to have that, that succinct thing going on. And you know, the third album is going to follow the same package uh, as well, because I'm going to use the same company. I'm using the same templates. Um, and I had them save the stamper. So it will have the symbol in the, you know, embossed in the front as well. Mm-hmm. And it will create, you know, it's an obvious trilogy and you have to take care of those details. It's just, it's mandatory. <laughs> And uh, to you, to you, uh, you know, when you're recording the music, are you imagining uh, how the design would look like and what would fit, you know, uh, in the uh, in the CD design and uh, on the live videos that you're using? Yeah, uh, you know, this is something about me um, as a designer and as an artist. I uh, I always see the the end result in my head when I start. So once that I see that end result, I work towards it. And of course there are little changes here and there, but at the end of the day, I'm working towards a big picture, an end result. And so <clears throat> with with these with these releases, <clears throat> sorry, or Agalock or anything else I've done, you know, it's that same mentality of working towards, you know, what's in my head. And so yeah. I wanted to do something very special with with the package for the CD version of Last Place I Remember. And um, so I created that that packaging. And then once I decided to make a trilogy, I was like, well, well shit, I'm going to have to <laughs> I'm gonna have to do it on all three. And it's not a cheap package. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you can tell. It's, yeah, it's worth it. It's worth it. I don't need to make money off of this project. It's art, you know, so. All right, all right. So, okay, now that we've been talking about Fields of the Nephilim, maybe we should play one of your favorite tracks, obviously. Yes. It's uh, And There Will Your Heart Be Also from 1990s Elysium, which is, uh, as you said, probably the last uh, Fields of the Nephilim uh, album that really matters. I'm c- yes. I kind of agree with you because, you know, the, the early stuff is absolutely immaculate it's it's like the the best thing ever uh so yeah let's hear some uh got rock
All right. All right, John. So should we continue with something that kind of surprised me? Maybe it shouldn't, but uh, one other truck that you uh, that you chose and that you mentioned as an influence was uh, by Tok Tok from their mm -hmm. um, last album. It's uh, I think it's their final album, right? Laughing Stock. Right. Yeah, 1991's Laughing Stock is their last album. It's kind of a uh, it's kind of a basic, uh, very stripped down track, but somehow it gets in a film noir territory. It's uh, the first track from the album. Uh, I suppose it's it should be pronounced Merman. I have no idea really. How do you pronounce it's, it? It's a It's a play on actually Talk Talk on one of their early albums had a song called Mirror Man. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a play on that song, Mirror Man. Um, that's that's how I would pronounce it anyway. Mm -hmm. um, now, this song that I, I sent you isn't my favorite on that album by any means. It's just um, it was influential on me because it really showed Mark Hollis's approach to improv recording and how the first take is always the, the best one. And I took that that influence and I put it, I, I incorporated it into, especially the song Scars Make It The Man. Mm -hmm. um, because, okay, so Scars Make It The Man, it's based on a loop of, you know, baritone guitars that are just crushing and loud and awesome. And uh, then there's percussion. And then I went into the studio in October to lay down some lead lead guitar stuff on it but I didn't prepare anything and I, I really I literally walked in and I sat down with Tad and I was like okay so this is what I'm gonna do I'm going to play through the song purely just on feeling and I'm just gonna come up with something on the spot as it's going don't press stop if I fuck up just keep it going And, you know, we can fix little errors and little mistakes if, if needed. But I wanted to achieve that Mark Hollis first take uh, um, approach. And so we did that. And I, it was the first Ebo track that I did. And then I was like, all right, so now I want to do another track. And I want to do the exact same thing, but silence the first track I did. And I'm going to run through the track again. I'm going to play purely by feeling and we can correct any little mistakes. And then once we were finished, we listened to everything together and it created such a haunting, just, uh, there's just a feeling. It's like there's a ghost within the song traveling through the, the work. And it's like, they, they sometimes match up, but they sometimes don't, but it doesn't matter because there's like tension there. And, That's that's really the talk talk influence, um, and you know later the later talk talk stuff, the last two albums. Yeah, yeah. You know those are those albums are sacred to me, especially Laughing Stock, especially the song Newgrass on Laughing Stock, which was why the initially was the song I was going to send you, but that song doesn't really illustrate the 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 recording technique that mm -hmm, he mm -hmm. that he did, did in Mirror Man. So anyway, uh, so yeah, that's that's how talk talk is been such a monumental influence um, on me in that way. Yeah, the, uh, it's cool that you mentioned uh, uh, your truck, The Scars Make It The Man, because it's, uh, accor according to me, at least, uh, it's one of the most impressive uh, tracks on the new album. 
it's uh, it's very brooding like like you said you said it best uh, it's like a ghost uh, a ghostly atmosphere like a ghost uh, haunting the track or something but uh, I, I would call it a very brooding track i really liked it because it's it's kind of bleak but but it has so much going on in it like if you listen to yeah. it one time you probably think it's is uh, a pretty basic then you listen to it second time third time and you keep uh, fi finding new newer and newer elements in it so yeah i, I i'm glad that uh, it's uh, so special for you as well yeah 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 and it's uh, it's, pr it's pretty long as well how, how long is it i i really don't remember <laughs> it's i think it's 10 minutes we 10 actually minutes, edited yeah, it yeah. down it, it the original version of it is 14 all right um but i felt i felt like it went on a little too long so we cut it at around at around 10 um and then it kind of just sort of evolves into the next track you know morbid nomad pale horse so but yeah felt that 10 minutes was plenty of time for that song too yeah of course to, there to, to are play. there are some other uh, long trucks here so so maybe maybe it would be it would be cool if for now we play the talk talk track from their uh, laughing stock uh, the opener of the laughing stock album and then we play an uh, a part because i don't think we'll we'll play the whole 10 minutes uh from the scars make a demand so so the audience can get the similarities and the and the differences between those tracks because they're both okay. amazing and they're both very emotional in a way yeah so yeah let's try that out i think uh, yep. people will get which okay. is which uh, uh we shouldn't point out all right cool all right Thank you. 
Alright, so now that we had uh, so many different artists and uh, so many different sounds from the album and, um, you know, tracks influencing the album, we get to one track that uh, for me is really defining the sound of uh, your uh, latest album. Uh, and uh, it's... Uh, I, I don't think anyone could have guessed that uh, really Steve Reich had uh, had such a great influence but after listening to the track i i get it it's it's really there uh you you uh, you pointed out the track america before the war from the different trains album which is pretty influential album because it has uh, pat martini it has chronos quartet it has uh, all of these uh, uh, immense sounds it, it's a concept album uh, I found out that it's a concept album, like just uh, by re-listening it and reading about it. But it's it's really that that track, America Before the War, that kind of fits with your uh, with your own album. And maybe you can tell us why and how. Well, you know, I love Steve Reich, and I love how, you know, his music is so. Um, I don't know what the word would be, but it's how he, he it's. The way that the, his his music it will develop is is really fascinating to me. And when I was when I was writing when I was working on on Cast Iron Blood and when I back back early, uh, I was experimenting with you know the tremolo pedal because I, I love that effect. And then I had because I always I used two amplifiers uh, at the same time, and mm -hmm. I'll have certain effects going to certain amps and. Um, I had my Echoplex um, hooked up to one of the, or I think it was one. No, I had it going through both, and so you know I'm work, I'm playing with the uh, the tremolo pedal, and then I kick on the Echoplex, and it creates this really cool like, and I was like, oh, this is actually interesting. And it's like when you start to like, um, kind of go through the the strings and and and. Uh, just kind of you know work around on the neck and stuff you can create these overtones that were really also really cool because they'd echo into each other and and i just i was like yeah this kind of reminds me of, of like a steve reich kind of approach mm -hmm. and um so when i when i when i finalized that part you know i was like well this needs this needs a percussive element because i feel like this really feels like a train you know going into the night you know and I was like, well, I have these old railroad spikes from from Montana that I found at, on a, in the railroad there, and uh, and this and this large uh, wrought iron triangle. So I was like, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna incorporate that into the recording as well, and it'll be on time with this sort of echoing effect. And once that was put together, it was like, holy shit, this sounds like a train. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's the train team in bo uh, in both trucks. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and then I realized just how much that uh, that track from Steve Reich had an inherent, you know, subconscious influence on that on that. You know, because I I listened to that track later and I was like, oh, he's basically doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's the train team, and uh, like that that's something that uh, that is uh, part of the team of the album, the train. Uh, but but do you, do you view, do you view the train uh, simply uh, 
simply as a sound effect or uh, part of the progress of the old west the way uh, you know the landscape of the old west was changing because of the rail trucks and because of the uh, you know transportation of goods and people well yeah it, it plays into the whole traveling um concept of of this trilogy uh, whether you're walking through the desert or taking the train or whatever um you know these are all elements or riding a horse for that matter because mm -hmm. there's elements of horse horses on on this album as well mm -hmm. so um you know i just wanted to create a, a mood based on on sounds from that era and of course the train was a was massive you know that was that was a big technological advancement for the 1800s yeah <laughs> um, of course uh, you know and the building of the railroad that that created the expanse of you know of this country and you know everything on there so yeah that's that that really was the influence you know and why I, why i wanted to bring that element to this to this particular record all right so let's have a listen to america before the war by steve reich and then we're gonna continue our talk about trains and the old west and of course uh, the splendid album I, I don't think i said it by now but it, it's a really good album i was uh, i was expecting it uh, i was anticipating but it's re it really blew me away cast iron blood it's really splendid man Thank you for okay. investing the effort and everything because I can feel the effort there. I can feel the the hours and weeks and months you spent, uh, uh, you know, hammering that out, like that sound and the atmosphere. So really good album, but uh, we're going to continue talking about it. So first, a bit of Steve Reich. Fastest train, fastest train, one of the fastest. 
That was so for part one of our conversation with John Holm. We will be back soon with part two. Until then, stay safe and stick to your guns. <laughs>